want to take just a second to welcome you. If you're new with us this morning, we're thankful that you're here. And we want to get to know you. Um, that is part of what it means to be in a covenant family, is that we know one another. Um, and so, welcome. Also, let you know that it is our standard practice, our ordinary plan to, to work through books of the Bible. And we are uh, in our sermon series working through John's gospel account, which takes us to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. That is where we'll be this morning. I invite you to join me there. Now we're going to pray, asking the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that your word points us to the word incarnate. I pray that today, as we, as we look to this passage, Jesus and Nicodemus are talking that you would speak to us, that you would give us your spirit to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the call to glorious, gracious transformation in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, welcome. We're glad you're here, but as we consider our time being here, I've got a question that I want to put before you. Why are you here? <laughs> what is it that you are seeking? Now, if we will be honest with ourselves for a moment to consider these questions and actually listen to what's going on in our heart when I ask, 
might just put before us a question that lies at the heart of Christianity. Christianity ultimately about affiliation or is Christianity a matter of transformation? Let me, let me uh, help you understand what I'm talking about by means of an illustration. So when our kids were young, uh, we had, Anna and I had uh, a desire for them to have a place to swim. And so we lived in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Greensboro was a town that, that had swim clubs in different places. And so you joined this club, you had access to the pool, and, and the different clubs had different costs. Now, money has never particularly grown from a tree, but during our seminary years, things were especially tight. And the cheapest pool in town was the Elks Lodge. So, yours truly became an elk. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I'm not disparaging the Elks. There are lots of good reasons to join the Elks. But personally, I did it for a specific reason during a specific season. I wanted a pool. So I endured what was this mysterious, dimly lit initiation ceremony. <laughs> I joined, became a member. These many years later, I recall little to nothing of that night or of my time as a member of the Elks Lodge. Uh, you see, the organization really meant nothing to me. It changed nothing in me. It had no lingering effect. I simply affiliated with this group for a purpose. You understand this, don't you? We do this in a lot of ways in a lot of different organizations. Sometimes it is a lodge. Sometimes it is a club. Sometimes it is even church. We align ourselves with people or groups in order to get access or to gain privilege. That's affiliation. Transformation, on the other hand, is an entirely different matter. It has nothing to do with some surface level contact or, or connection either to a club or a lodge or to a church. Transformation doesn't come through an initiation ceremony, but it is Holy Spirit-driven. As the Holy Spirit works in us, taking old beliefs, old desires, old allegiances, even the old nature, and beautifully, blessedly destroying it so that the Holy Spirit can raise up something new. And beautiful. This text in John chapter 3 is a, is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And this conversation has nothing to do with affiliation. This conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus has everything to do with transformation. I began by asking you what you came here this morning seeking. The same could be asked of Nicodemus. Jesus essentially asked that very question. It's hard to know what was on Nicodemus' mind as he came that night under the cover of darkness, but he did come. 
Likely he didn't even know himself what was going on. Just like many of us don't know why we came here this morning, and that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit was at work that night, just as the Holy Spirit is at work this morning. We see that as the Holy Spirit draws out in us the truths that Jesus is drawing out in this conversation. We're going to see here two fundamental theological truths that mean the world to us this day. Jesus has come to expose within us the need for new birth and to give us the gift of new life. Let's start with new birth. Now, to recognize the totality of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, to to understand just the radical transformation that he's calling out in Nicodemus, we need to understand something about Nicodemus. The text tells us that he was a Pharisee that he was a ruler of the Jews. Jesus would later then say that he is the teacher of Israel. In other words, Nicodemus, he was well-trained. Nicodemus was recognized broadly as an Old Testament scholar. He had the credentials. He had the chops. But something was going on here in Nicodemus. He came to Jesus for a reason. Maybe it was curiosity. Maybe it was the stirring of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it was that night, none of it was fully formed. So he came to Jesus that night and he, he made a statement. A statement that Jesus rightly interpreted as a question. Nicodemus' statement that night, something's different about you, Jesus. Something's different. You teach with an authority that is different than all the other teachers. You have a power to do miraculous signs that no one else can do. God must be with you. That was the statement. But Jesus heard beneath the statement, the question that Nicodemus was asking, Who are you? Who are you? Jesus responded to the question, Nicodemus, you're a ruler of the Jews, but brother, you're blind. You must be born again. To which Nicodemus responded as we would respond if we were being honest and thoughtful in this. How? I'm a grown man. How am I supposed to get back into my mother's womb? Now that response, that crass literalization might have been because he was confused might have been because he was appalled more likely it was both D.A. Carson was uh, is a theologian a, a commentator and he, and he spoke of this this time and and how we need to understand uh, the religious uh, the Jewish religious thought of the day he says that that in that day it was the prevailing thought that 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 all Jews would see the kingdom of God as long as they didn't commit apostasy which is forego their affiliation leave their affiliation or if they didn't commit some wicked heinous sin that is be what we would call a bad bad person Does that sound familiar to you? 
that sound like it might describe the prevailing thought today? That we're okay as long as we've got some level of connection to the church, some affiliation with the church, maybe from some ceremony, initiation ceremony in the past. Maybe uh, as long as we are on the right side of the, the sliding scale of, mor- of morality, you know, just somewhat on the good side of bad. If we can check those two boxes, then we're okay. That would be like me saying, once an elk, always an elk, because I endured the initiation into that way of thinking. Then and now, Jesus throws a hand grenade in the room, busts it all up, and he says, Nicodemus, you are not merely a decent person with a good history of church attendance. You are the teacher of Israel. You're blind. You cannot see. Nicodemus responded to all of that incredulously, and so Jesus seeks to clarify in verse 5, and we might need some clarification to his clarity. Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's tempting for us in the New Testament church, particularly on a day when we have administered the sacrament of baptism, to superimpose into Jesus' words here a notion of water baptism. But that would be to miss the context. You see, later in this passage in verses 10 through 12, Jesus expects Nicodemus to understand what he's saying about the new birth. He expects Nicodemus, the Old Testament teacher, the Old Testament scholar, to understand this new birth, which means as we consider what Jesus speaks of in verse 5 about being born of water and spirit, we need to go back to the Old Testament. And if we are to go back to the Old Testament, we go to a familiar passage, at least familiar around this place, because you've likely heard Michael and I speak of Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. It is the context of what Jesus speaks of in John 3, 5. There, in the heart of the Old Testament, God made a promise to his people in Israel, and he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus speaks of new birth to the teacher of the Old Testament. He takes him back and he echoes Ezekiel 36, saying that this gift of new birth is a gift of a new heart. It is a gift of a new spirit and the cleansing of water that points to the blood of Christ. In John 3, 5, he's not talking about baptism. He's talking about the washing of regeneration. And then, Jesus taught the teacher once again in verse 6. This why we need to be born again and what it means. When he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is pointing Nicodemus and us to the fact that we must be born again because we were born of flesh. 
To be born of flesh is to be born with a fleshly nature, a sin nature. What Jesus is saying is that we were born with a congenital heart defect, a cancer of the heart that has metastasized to every fiber of our being. You see, sin is not merely an issue of action. Sin is an issue of being. Our nature. We are born with a sin nature and we, we act out of that sin nature. A snake is a snake and a snake must be killed. But something new can take shape in us. There is a radical solution needed because we are born with the sin nature. And that radical solution has nothing to do with becoming affiliated with a better class of people. It is a radical transformation that takes place through the new birth. Jesus is he's taking Nicodemus there. He's taking us there. But he not only taught that truth, he spoke of the power behind that truth. In verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Again, Jesus is taking the Old Testament scholar back to the Old Testament. Because you see, what Ezekiel 36 taught, Ezekiel 37 illustrates. Ezekiel 37 is the, the valley of dry bones. When God commanded Ezekiel to preach the Word of God over these, these bones, and the bones came together, but the Spirit, the Spirit breathed the breath of life into those bones, and they Jesus is taking Nicodemus there again, and he takes us there again, because you and I don't cause ourselves to be born again. It doesn't happen in ourselves. It doesn't happen in others. It's all of God, so that no one may boast. That's what we mean when we speak of sovereign grace. The Lord, our God, is the one who causes the dead to rise. The Holy Spirit brought Nicodemus to Jesus that night to because though he was educated, he was blind. Though he was affiliated with all the right religious people, he was lost. Friends, there's a lot of Nicks running around today. In our community, in our world. Respectful, curious people who are aware of the law and have no idea of the power of God. Could that be you? Friends, I ask that question not to scare or to stir doubt, but I do ask it to cause reflection. Might you be looking to Jesus out of casual curiosity? Or might you be looking to Jesus out of a deep longing? Are you satisfied with polite respect? Or... Are you looking for real, raw, bloody relationship? Some of us have never been challenged in this way, which means that some of us are, are walking around fooling ourselves, trusting in some loose affiliation with church or with other Christians. And yet Jesus comes speaking to Nicodemus and speaking to us. 
shaking the casual Christian out of complacent goodness. But he's not trying to shake the foundation of the true cloister. And so I ask you, how, how do you hear this message? Again, I, I, I'm not trying to stir doubt, fear. I am asking you to reflect. How do you hear this? Do you hear and are you appalled that someone would have the audacity to ask about your heart? I'm a good person. Don't question me. If that's the way you respond, then I want to warn you from Scripture. Jesus says you be born again. But if on the other hand, you, you respond like the tax collector in the center who, who beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is good news because it means that Jesus came for you. If you have questions about your sin or you approach this with a sense of gratitude because the Lord has been and is working this work in you, then praise the Lord. But I want to encourage you. As questions come, talk to me, come talk to Michael, talk to our elders. Let's process this together. This is not meant to stir in us fear. It's meant to cause us to reflect on the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So that we might cling to him. It's the lesson for us in how we hear the new birth. But there's also a lesson for us in how we share the new birth. Do you see in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus two things? I want you to see two things. One is a boldness. The other is a patience. Jesus boldly challenged Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, your credentials will not save you. But he was also patient with him. He gave him the time and the space for this new birth to to take place in his life as the Holy Spirit brings it about in him. How about us? What does this practically mean for us as we think about evangelism? Well, for one, hear this. It doesn't, we, we don't go tell people to birth themselves. <laughs> Repent. Repent. But we do call for the new birth. Understanding that that birth comes about as a work of God, by the power of God, in the timing of God. And God works it in us through the ordinary means of grace by which He brings us to the realization of our sin and of the glory of the cross. Whereby Jesus took our sin on Himself. Friends, in light of John 3, our evangelism is part calling people to see Jesus in a new light. It's part putting our arm around them and walking with them in pursuit of Jesus. It's part pointing them to Jesus and it is all prayer that they and we would have eyes to see and to respond. That response calls us to the second truth that Jesus exposes in this text. A truth that is, that is completely interwoven in with this call to new birth. 
New birth certainly precedes new life, but they come together in what we often speak of as conversion. Conversion is not affiliation. Conversion is transformation, whereby those who have been given the gift of new birth receive it as evidenced by their living into the gift of new life. And that gift of new life is where Jesus takes us in verses 14 and 15, verses that admittedly sound confusing to those of us who are not Old Testament scholars. Verses 14 and 15, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Once again, Jesus is doing it. He's taking the Old Testament scholar back to the Old Testament, to Numbers chapter 21. And there, Jesus is connecting the dots for Nicodemus, saying that all of the Scripture, all of it, points to Him. So what's going on in Numbers chapter 21? Guess what? In Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness, and they're grumbling again. This time they're grumbling about food. On one hand, they say, we have no food and water. But then they tip their hand because they say, we actually have food. We just loathe this worthless food. What are they doing? They're grumbling not about the food. They're grumbling about the provider. They're grumbling against God who has rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And the Lord, our God, So he sends a plague of snakes, fiery serpents who who go into the camp. They bite the Israelites, and the Israelites die. Brings them to the realization of their sin. Brings them to see that they have sinned against the Lord, and they confess that sin to God. And then they plead for Moses to mediate on their behalf. So he does. Moses goes before the Lord our God, and the Lord tells Moses, make a fiery serpent, place it on a pole, a bronze serpent, raise that pole up so that those who are bitten might look upon the snake and be healed. And Jesus goes there. He looks back on Numbers 21, he looks back on the bronze serpent, and then he looks forward to the time when he would be lifted up. Not as a fiery serpent, but as the true Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who would take upon Himself our sin, so that all who would look on Him with trusting belief might have eternal life. This is the new life given to those of us who have come to see and embrace the need for new birth. This is a new life given as our guilt is taken from us. And Jesus' perfect cloak of righteousness is placed on us. It's what it means to be justified by faith alone. Not through education, not through affiliation, but given to us by the grace of God. And by His grace alone, received through eyes of faith. This requires new eyes. Where the curiosity gives way to desperation. Where the confusion gives way to clarity. And where transformation gives birth 
into new creation. That, that's the transformation that, that Jesus is calling us to. It's a transformation that oftentimes in, in our culture we expect to be instantaneous. Now there is no doubt that in the blink of an eye the Lord changes our hearts. But we spend the rest of our lives growing into what he's already declared us to be which means we have been and are being transformed. Yet we want a lightning bolt testimony. We celebrate the lightning bolt testimony and think there's something missing in us if we don't have it. We're confused when we can't point to the exact second when we were transformed. The truth is, it ultimately doesn't matter. What matters is that in His timing, God is creating in us something new something beautiful, something Christ-like. And Jesus' patience, the patience that he has for us, is a patience that was on display in Nicodemus' life. You see, this encounter that we're reading in John chapter 3, it came at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But it's not the last time we see Nicodemus in John. He shows up again in John 7 51. You see there, the Sanhedrin is, is questioning about what they should do about Jesus, wanting to arrest him, and, and Nicodemus pipes up and says, it is, is it right for us to convict without trying a man? And then later, Nicodemus would show up one more time in John 19, 39, when after Jesus has been crucified on the cross, he comes with Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body and place it in the tomb for burial. See, in the beginning, Nicodemus came under the cloak of night. Somewhere in the middle, he spoke up, and in the end, he acted. In John 3, Jesus was bold, and he was patient. In the fullness of time, it appears that the Spirit of God moved and gave him eyes to see. Friends, this is the picture of new life in God's timing. And it's a picture for you and I. Please, please, don't settle for affiliation. Don't settle for convenience or self-serving Christianity. But by the power of God, in accord with His grace and mercy, Let go of affiliation and take hold of union through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit as we receive the gift of new birth and new life. Let us embrace Christ. Father, this is your word. It is, it is strong. It is true. It is for every one of us here. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That we might see Jesus in a new, desperate, and beautiful light and know what it is that he has come to do in us, for us, and through us. In his name we pray.